morning again. If you have just logged on to our live stream, we are New Life Church. My name is Gareth. I'm the senior pastor of New Life Church and grateful that we get this opportunity to minister to you um, online. And in case you haven't heard or in case you've just turned on, uh, this is our last live stream from the studio. And next week we will be meeting in person. So please join us at the TEC. I know it has been announced 10 o'clock, but please try and come earlier. We have to make sure we start exactly at 10 o'clock because of the time limit that we have with all of the other um, rooms being used. So please come 9.45 and um, make sure you register for the service. We would love to see you and fellowship with you in person next week. So we still continue in our study through the, the book of Acts. So far, we have seen Jerusalem, and to a degree, Judea evangelized. Um, in our previous study, we saw Philip take the gospel into Samaritan uh, territory, and God blessed his efforts in many coming to faith, a great revival there, as we saw many people were baptized. But in our text today, we now see the gospel going out. Remember, this was in accordance with Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where the author is trying to remind us that the purpose of this all is the gospel will go to the end of the earth. And we don't know for sure the time frame, but it would seem that right in the middle of this revival that Philip was involved with in Samaria, the Lord sends an angel to Philip to leave this work and to leave this region. And instead, he was to travel to a deserted road that led south from Jerusalem to Gaza. And God arranged a meeting there between Philip and one man, an Ethiopian eunuch who was traveling home after worshiping in Jerusalem. And God opened this man's heart and Philip led him to faith in Jesus Christ. So from this point in Acts, Luke focuses on worldwide missions. In chapter 9, we will see the conversion of Saul, who became the apostle to the, the Gentiles. In chapter 10, we read of Peter's ministry to Cornelius and the, the gospel being opened in a greater way to the Gentiles. But as we will see, God graciously opens these global doors to the gospel when people are faithful at home with the, the Great Commission. One believer personally evangelizing another individual. So let's read our passage this morning from Acts chapter 8. We will begin in verse 26. The title of my message this morning is Revival in a Desert. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to the end, verse 14. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace wasn't her name. Candace was a title that was given to the queen. So this is the queen of the Ethiopians. And this eunuch was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
verse 28. And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's ask God's blessings on the word today. Father, please teach us. I pray that you would help me. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of our lips honor you today. Amen. It has been rightly said that our God is an awesome God. All of us would agree. But it can also be said that our God is a peculiar God. Now let me define peculiar, okay? The word, the, biblic, the, the, the dictionary definition for peculiar is having a character exclusively of its own. And that defines our God. Our Lord is peculiar in that there is no one like Him. Or, nor can anyone fully know Him or discern His ways. Romans chapter 11 verse 33 tells us this exactly. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. So this experience that we've just read about in the life of Philip can be credited to the peculiar workings of an awesome God. A desert is not the place where you would expect a revival, yet even with the absence of a choir or a pulpit or a, a big tent or nice comfortable chairs or even offering plates, God shows up and brings revival in the desert. So today I want us to look at four ingredients, how the Lord uses the desert to bring revival in our lives. My first point is in verse 26 and the beginning of verse 27. 
the first thing the Lord uses is a willing servant. A willing servant. Look at verse 26. An angel of the Lord says to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse, the beginning of verse 27 says, And he arose and went. We have already learned a little bit about Philip in the previous sermon that uh, Pedro preached. We saw in Acts chapter 6 that Philip was one of the original seven deacons appointed to serve in the ministry of the church. Well, we saw last week that he was also a gifted preacher. He preached in Samaria after the death of Stephen. And it was a great revival. But today we learn a little bit more of his faithful character when the angel of the Lord calls him to preach at Gaza. We notice in this passage, in this verse, that without question or without hesitation, he goes. Without question or without hesitation, he goes. And this assignment given to Philip was an unusual one. It must have been something that not everybody was happy to receive. It was definitely unusual. I want you to try and picture this. Now here is Philip in the middle of an exciting revival when an angel of the Lord tells him to go to a deserted stretch of road where no one lived. How would you feel if that was your assignment? The location of this desert highway was technically in Philistine territory. And we know the Philistines were no friends of the, the Israelites. And remember, Philip had also just experienced wonderful gospel fruit in Samaria. And, and who could no doubt be used by God in a, in a great way to edify this newly planted church there in Samaria. To now to be sent to a desert road to evangelize one person, and he wasn't even sure if there was a person on this road, must have caused him to question. Well, maybe he didn't, but myself, thinking about this, I probably would have asked questions like, well, angel, why don't you go? <laughs> why don't you go, rather? I'm, I'm busy here. Why, why can't you do this work? Or, or what about all the other apostles that are sitting around in Jerusalem doing nothing. Why don't you tell them to go? I'm busy. Here, look at this great work the Lord has called me to. They aren't as busy as I am. Surely they can do this work. And besides, they're closer. Jerusalem was much closer to where Philip was. Why don't you send one of them? Or, or maybe I would have responded in, in, in this way. Lord, I'll go. Yes, definitely I'll go. But when all of this is finished, when this is quietened down, when my work here is finished, then I will go. But as far as we know, and according to the text that we see in front of us, Philip did not raise any objections. He didn't raise any questions. He rose up and he went. He rose up and he went. And I think this was enough for Philip. We see from this that he was indeed an obedient servant. And I think sometimes maybe the requirements for us to be an obedient service is some type of recognition, isn't it? Yes, Lord, we'll do that. But what's in it for us? Um, is there going to be recognition from other people? Is there going to be some type of 
um, esteem given to us? Is there going to be some type of approval that the, the crowd will, will offer us? And we tend to think of these, these secondary, even things that aren't necessary requirements before we actually obey the Lord. Remember, this is a desert place. There isn't anything prestigious about this place. There's no, there's no fame that he's going to get going to this place. There, it's not even populated. There's not even uh, people there. There's no industry there. There's no towns there. He can't make any money there either. But we notice that this is a particular place. This is the particular place where the, Lord, where the angel of the Lord told him to go. And that was enough. That was enough for Philip. That was enough for Philip. And I think the lesson here for all of us, for me as well, that we must never forget that we are servants of the Most High God, first and foremost. If we have been saved and redeemed, we have been purchased. We are God's possessions. And He can do with us what He chooses and what He wants. We are His servants. And Philip was evidently a perceptive servant, an obedient servant, because verse 27 tells us that he arose and went. He arose and went. The servant of the Lord obeyed the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 17, again, the author of Acts reminds us this in this verse. He says in verse 10, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We have only done what was our duty. And we all have a duty to perform, isn't it, as God's servants, as His children. And that is to be obedient. And that is to obey His word, not to add to His word, just as we saw last week in the children's talk. Not to change His word as it suits us but to obey the word, this is our duty. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are His workmanship. We have been saved for a purpose, and we are to serve, and we are to obey. Without question, even though it may seem strange to us, the Lord is in control, and we must trust Him. We must trust His character, that He is indeed sovereign, and has a plan and a purpose. Even when everything around us, is crumbling. That leads to my second point this morning. We see at the end of verse 27 and up to verse 31, the Lord use, uses wandering sinners. The Lord uses wandering sinners. In verse 27, the second part, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. So when Philip gets to this desert road, he's a bit surprised. There's nothing there. But in the distance, he sees this chariot approaching. And I'm sure he must have been asked, uh, he must have asked himself this question, what in the world is this chariot doing here? And I'm sure it had the official um, insignia or the flag of the 
the Ethiopian um, officials. And of course, there was an, an entourage there. And he must have thought, what in the world is this chariot and this entourage doing here in the middle of this forsaken road? But this was clearly the place to where the Lord wanted him to go. And this was clearly the man to whom the angel of the Lord had sent him. The Spirit prompted Philip to go up to this chariot, it says, and join himself to this chariot. I love that word. Very, very descriptive. Um, now, of course, the chariot wasn't like our chariots today, our cars today. Okay, The chariot must have been going very slowly, um, being pulled by a horse, traveling at a, a slow pace. So Philip could easily catch up to this um, chariot. He could have easily walked alongside this chariot. And while he was there, walking alongside it, he heard the man reading. And of course, to his amazement, Philip recognized the reading as Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8, which we heard this morning. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch replied, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And then he invited Philip into the chariot to talk about this. And the end of verse 27 tells us that the, the eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship. The eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, it's significant that Luke tells us that this Ethiopian was a eunuch. It's important for us to understand the context of this story. It's significant. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 3 a little bit about an, a eunuch. Um, some of the rules and the laws associated with a eunuch. Um, Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Well, the Ethiopian, he became a, a eunuch by having his male organ cut off so that he could serve the queen as a treasurer. That's what they used to do, a little barbaric, but that's, that's what happened. Levit Leviticus 21 verse 17 also tells us, that eunuchs were denied the right to give offerings to God to anyone who had a blemish. And eunuchs among them were specifically um, recognized as one of these people. So the point I'm making is that this Ethiopian man could not have been a, um, a full proselyte. He couldn't have converted fully to the the faith of the Israelites, because he wasn't allowed into the temple to worship. He wasn't allowed into the temple to worship. Um, he was probably a God-fearer, as we hear about, as many people are, are referred to, um, one of those who fear the Lord, but he was, not, he was not a proselyte. A proselyte had to have been circumcised, and he couldn't have been circumcised. Um, he was not one who enjoyed the full membership of the, the Jewish community. So as a eunuch, this Ethiopian fell under this law. He was cut off from the temple. But the Bible tells us he came to Jerusalem to worship. He came to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we know a little bit about the Ethiopian history when the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon's court 
and hears about the amazing God that Solomon worships. And I'm sure at that point, she took the good news back with her to Ethiopia. And we see here, even in the New Testament now, Ethiopians coming to the temple to worship. So they were people who knew about Jehovah. They were people who knew about the sovereign God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he was here worshiping Jehovah, but unable to worship in the temple. But we see something very, um, very interesting here about the Ethiopian. While he was leaving Jerusalem, he was reading the scriptures. But the Ethiopian was not searching for a way home. He was not there for some business deal. Um, he wasn't even wondering how he could be more healthy, wealthy, and, and prosperous. The Ethiopian was looking for peace in his soul. And it's interesting, even though he had been to the temple, he had to be outside the temple, he probably heard people um, worshiping and, and singing from outside, he still had this, had this emptiness in his soul. Um, he probably had great moral character, being one of the, the servants of the, the queen. Um, he probably was a very honest man, being the treasurer of, of, the, of the queen's treasure. But he still had this, this emptiness inside his heart. And I think maybe we can relate a little bit to this Ethiopian. Maybe you're listening today and you have left your home country to take up a great job here in, in Abu Dhabi in the desert. Maybe you have filled your life full of wonderful brunches that they serve here on Groupon and different hotels. Maybe you filled your life full of experiences. Maybe you filled your life full of friendships and, and even accumulated great wealth having a good job here in the UAE. But there's still this unsettled feeling inside you that never allows you to know true joy and peace. And truth is, even when all the world's pleasures and even with all the world's prizes, you will never ever know true joy and peace until you meet Jesus Christ. And that leads to my next point this morning. Point number three, a word about the Savior. Verse 32 says, Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him about the good news about Jesus. Well, Philip told him, about Jesus. Jesus is the theme of all Scripture. And I heard one preacher say it once, if you read the Old Testament without seeing Jesus Christ there, then you haven't read it properly. And I think that is so true. All of these prophecies and all of these pictures and all of these types that we see in the Old Testament point us 
to Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah that would come in the New Testament. Verse 32 tells us that the passage of Scripture that the Ethiopian was reading was Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. But the very verse before that is Isaiah 53, verse 6. (laughs) Very profound, isn't it? But do you know what that verse says? That verse says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Philip would have explained that all of us have sinned. All of us are like these sheep that have gone astray. We've all turned away from God because of our sinful nature. And because of that, none of us can merit eternal life by our words and even by our deeds that that we perform. So the Lord, to satisfy His holy justice out of love for us, has provided a substitute who bore the penalty that, that we deserve. And you see where this is going, I hope. The substitute was none other than Jesus Christ. He was the one who bore God's wrath for our sin on the cross. And perhaps Philip went to other scriptures as well. He may have. But whatever scriptures he used, Philip told the man about Jesus Christ. He told the man about Jesus Christ who was crucified. He told the man about Jesus Christ who was buried. He told the man about Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he also explained that that we must put our faith and our trust in Jesus personally as our sin bearer. And if you're not prepared by God, we know, we see in the passage, he responds well. He responds in faith and he believes And he believes. But please notice in this passage, very important, notice that it was God who had prepared the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch. It was the Spirit of God that prompted Philip to go up and join himself to this chariot. None of this would have happened without God orchestrating all of this. This was God's providence. This was God's providence. Now, Vodi Bakom, one uh, popular preacher today, in a sermon, he once said that providence is not the biblical Christian word for luck. It's not the biblical Christian word for luck. Instead, it's a term that refers to the fact that God is in control of every event. He goes on to say, if you are running late to the airport and arrive to find the plane that has been delayed, you are correct in thinking that the delay was providential. However, even if the plane is not delayed and you miss the flight, God's providence is still in play. It's still in play, even in the good things and the bad things, things we don't understand. God's providence is there, still in play. It's like putting a puzzle together, isn't it? We can't see the big picture until the puzzle is over. We, we are only on, on piece number three and four in God's big picture here. Everything in life 
is directed by the providence of God. As Philip was ministering in Samaria, he had no idea what God was doing in the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't even know the Ethiopian eunuch. And I hope this encourages you in your evangelism this morning. You know, the simple fact is that we have no idea what God is doing to people's hearts and how he's preparing their hearts to receive the gospel. We have no idea. We just need to be faithful in sharing the gospel, even if we don't know who the people are. The simple fact is that God is in control. We should take every opportunity that we have to evangelize others. For who knows whether God has prepared hearts before us that we will be used to sow the seed of the gospel. It's God's job to prepare the hearts. It's our job to be faithful in sowing the seeds. Our task, our task, just as we see here with Philip, is to join ourselves to the chariot. Join ourselves to the chariot that he brings across our paths. I remember in India when we needed to travel back to our home city on a train, I prayed and asked the Lord to give us a booth that was empty so that we could rest and sleep after a, a tiring um, visit and, and a tiring journey. But when Kerry and the children and I, we found our booth, it was, it was filled to capacity. Um, but we sat down next to a, a Hindu couple who had just had a, a baby, a little infant child with them. And of course, it didn't take Kerry long to strike up a conversation with this proud mommy. And um, she told us that they were on their way to a temple in Kolapur to give thanks and to give gifts to the, to the Hindu goddess Mahalakshmi for blessing them with this child. We soon realized that God had arranged our seats in this booth in such a way that we could have the opportunity to share the gospel with this family. And we spent some time talking about worshiping the creator and not the, not the created things. And worshiping the true and the living God, not, not idols made with hands. And we were able to share the gospel with them that day. And I would love to say that they cried to God for the forgiveness of their sins. And they thanked the true and living God for the baby that they were blessed with. But that didn't happen while we didn't see that happen at least. And who knows, however, you know, if God will, will use someone else to, to water that seed or did use someone else to plant, um, to continue watering the, the, the seed that we had planted. But we pray that we did. We pray that he did. And we should always remain alert to opportunities to speak the gospel into the lives of others. And this is the situation in which Philip found himself. And I think every Christian should be able to do what Philip did that day. Starting with any scripture or any spiritual topic, we should be able to speak to a, a stranger about Jesus. You know, if a person brings up, let's say, evolution, you may need to say, well, that's an interesting subject and there's lots of interesting arguments on both sides. But let me ask you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? The question that is far more important than evolution is, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Who do you think Jesus Christ is? 
And maybe the person brings up the problem of suffering, or maybe they bring up the question about the heathen who have never heard or, or whatever. After a brief answer, we need to steer the conversation back to Jesus Christ. Back to Jesus Christ. The most important thing, they need to know who Jesus is. They need to know what he came to do. They need to know their own desperate condition apart from Christ. And they need to know how to receive Christ by faith. Everything else is really secondary. And we should be able to talk to people about the living hope that we have who is Jesus Christ. With the opportunities that the Lord gives us. With the opportunities that the Lord gives us. And that leads to my last point this morning. In verse 36 to verse 39. The way to salvation. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. While following this proclamation that we've just read about, we find now a Christ-centered confession. Immediately after his conversion, the Ethiopian asks for baptism. One commentator says, the, the eunuch's request for baptism rested on his understanding that in this act, he would be confessing his faith as well as repenting for his sins. Well, we know he must have done that because you can't be baptized without confessing your sins. You cannot be baptized without faith in Jesus Christ. And we spoke a little bit about faith last week. Pedro reminded us of the, the fake faith of Simon, um, who was there for the wrong reasons and wanted the gospel for his own benefit. He wasn't there to humble himself and to repent of his sin. But this man's faith was very different. This man's faith was a genuine faith. It was this faith of the Ethiopian eunuch that we know was from God himself. Whereas Simon's faith was of his own. It, it was a faith that was just man-made and man-centered. But the faith here we see is genuine. The man had been to Jerusalem. He had been to worship the Lord. He was an outcast in some ways. Even though he was a, a man of nobility, he wasn't allowed into the temple. He wasn't allowed to be with the people and worship the Lord. Instead, he was on the outside looking in. But still, he was there to worship the Lord. And as he left Jerusalem, he wasn't wondering about his finances. He wasn't wondering about his journey. He wasn't wondering about his his title, he was wondering about the Messiah. He was reading the scriptures. He was searching the scriptures. He was there to worship the Lord. And the Lord had prepared his heart and brought Philip there to show him who this Messiah was. And he responds. He responds in faith after searching the scriptures. We don't know how long he must have been searching in his heart. But this must have been a joyous occasion for this Ethiopian. And we see the joy here mentioned in this passage in the end of verse 39. He was rejoicing. He was rejoicing. 
And as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he publicly displays it and declares it in the act of baptism. We know baptism is one of the very fruits of repentance. Baptism is not a a non-negotiable. Baptism is a command. It's not a minor issue of the the Christian walk. The act of baptism is a, a public confession of what God has done in a person's heart through faith in Jesus. Neither the man knew the meaning and the significance of baptism or Philip had explained it to him. Philip had spoken to him about it. But the words in verse 38 tell us they both went down into the water. There wasn't some sprinkling going on here. They went into the the river. Verse 38 tells us they came up out of the water. There was submersion here. The, The river or the pool was deep enough for them to go into it and to come out of it, to be immersed in. And the the dictionary definition for baptize is immerse. That's what the English dictionary says. So baptism by immersion best pictures what baptism symbolizes. And what does it symbolize? It symbolizes the death as you go under the water, the death of Christ. It symbolizes the burial of Christ as you stay underwater. And as you come up out of the water, it symbolizes the very resurrection of Christ that you have identified with. And the man wanted to be identified with the gospel of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And as the man came up out of the water, we see what happens here. The Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away very um, Uh, supernaturally, very supernaturally. Philip couldn't do a follow-up. He couldn't spend more time having lunch with him. Nothing. He was snatched up away. But even though the, the eunuch never saw Philip again, we see that he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. Philip wasn't the only witness to this baptism. Let's remember that. His whole entourage must have been there. And him being the leader of these people, humbled himself to this act of baptism in front of all of his followers to identify with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God had met the longing of this eunuch's heart. He knew that Jesus had forgiven his sins. He knew that God had given him eternal life. And we don't know from history if If this Ethiopian became an evangelist, we don't know. We don't know if he went back and became a famous um, pastor. We don't know about it. But it's, it's not hard to imagine that he may have done that. A life of joy in Christ is hard to keep to oneself. It is the best advertisement for the gospel. As for his part, we see Philip here found himself at Azotus, which is about 20 miles north of, of Gaza. And although he had no direct command from God, verse 40 tells us that he kept on doing what he always did, preaching the gospel to the cities as he traveled around the north of Caesarea, preaching the good news, telling people about Jesus. And that's the end of our story. 
And it gets better. It gets better, folks, as we see the gospel going to the nations now. But how does this apply to our lives? How does this apply to your life individually? How does this apply to our lives corporately? Well, here's what I want you to consider. You know, through the book of Acts, Luke, the author, keeps coming back to this same theme. The word of God keeps going out. And what happens? God keeps bringing people in. The word of God goes out. God brings people in. And remember, Luke is writing this record of the early church history to a man named Theophilus. It's almost as if Luke wants to continually remind him that this is God's pattern, that this is God's way. God's people keep speaking the word, and God keeps bringing the people in. The gospel in Jerusalem started with the conversion of 3,000 souls, remember, the day of Pentecost. Now in Samaria, a citywide crusade saw the advance of the gospel, a revival there. But the gospel to the uttermost starts with a single conversation with two individuals on a desert road. On a desert road. A quiet desert road. And yet that one person was used by God to impact his entire continent with the gospel. Philip was obedient. He acted locally, but he impacted the world globally, isn't it? And I think the lesson we can learn from this is that the desert can make a difference. The desert can make a difference. One man reached in a desert place can be used by God to impact the world. I have to admit that 2020 and 2021 has felt like a desert, spiritually speaking. I know we live in the desert, but spiritually speaking, it's felt like a desert for us, especially as a church. I think not being able to meet has made many of us spiritually lazy, having to isolate ourselves and socially distance ourselves from people has given us reasons and excuses not to be sharing the gospel, not to be a witness of the gospel, not to be evangelizing, that's almost been our last concern, hasn't it? But let's not forget that God is sovereign and that in His providence, He has allowed this COVID-19 pandemic to happen for a reason. Just as I said, we don't know the full picture. We're only on piece number three and four in this, in this massive puzzle. And as Christians, this pandemic has taught us many lessons. It can reorient our desires so that instead of yearning for worldly comforts and pleasures, we instead seek for God's kingdom and His righteousness. I hope that's true with you. I hope this pandemic has been a trial that has shifted your gaze from the, the broken pleasures of this world to the undying glories of our risen and resurrected Savior. Now, for me, this pandemic has, has heightened my death awareness. This pandemic has made me painfully aware of my mortality. And it's been a confronting thought. But if we combine this 
death awareness with the gospel of our risen Christ who has overcome death, we can become more captivated by the resurrected life that is to come. And we can share this hope with others. We can share this glorious hope with others. And that's my prayer for New Life Church, that we will not waste this trial that God has put us through. We will not waste this trial that God has put us through. And let's be the faithful witnesses that God wants us to be so that we can impact this Gulf region and that we can impact the world that He wants us to. The gospel to the uttermost started with a single individual on a desert road. Let's not forget that. Now, we don't have to be Hudson Taylor. We don't have to be William Carey or Adoniram Judson or these famous missionaries that we read so much about. Sometimes God uses Phillips. Sometimes God uses Ethiopian eunuchs to impact the world for His glory. Starting at home. Starting at home. If we are simply faithful with the gospel at home, we can be sure that God will use us to reach the nations for his glory. God's people keep speaking the word and God keeps bringing people in. Let's be faithful to do our part. Let's be faithful in planting, in watering, in fertilizing, in even digging the weeds. Let's be faithful in our part and trust God to provide his great growth in the hearts of people. I truly pray that next week will be the start of a new chapter for us as a church as we remember God's providence in allowing us through this desert so that we can be used for His glory. I pray that we will be more fruitful allowing these trials to shape us and mold us and make us more into the image of Christ and to make us love Christ more and love His gospel more. Father, we do thank You for this story that you have allowed to be recorded in your word for us to learn from. Thank you, Lord, for the faithful example of Philip here. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you, Lord, for his loyal servanthood to the King of Kings. And thank you, Lord, for granting faith and repentance to this Ethiopian eunuch. Lord, I'm sure there are many people that can relate to this Ethiopian Many people that are on the outside looking in. Many people that are on the outskirts of the mainstream population. Many people who are, are looking for answers. Many people who have filled their lives with, with physical, worldly comforts. But inside, their hearts are broken. Inside, their, their hearts are empty. There is this void that nothing can fill but the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to be people that are reaching into the lives of people around us. And we pray that you continue to prepare their hearts. And we do pray, Lord, that we would see people come to faith. And we would see people added to the church. And people would testify of your wondrous work in their lives as you were preparing their hearts, even during this COVID period. And we would see people come to church. And we would be faithful inviting people to church. And people would see the love of Christ that we have. And people would hear the gospel that we want to share with them.
we would see people respond. Lord, we pray for this. We yearn for this. But we thank you for this desert place that you've allowed us to go through for your purpose and for this time. Please, Lord, we pray. Turn this desert place into the glorious garden, Lord, that you want it to be for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.